0: Got you tied in knots. if you with religious thoughts come grab a drink and join the choir it's happy hour well hey there pull up a chair grab your drink and sit back for another episode of the heretic happy hour podcast this is gonna be a great one lots of awesome stuff in store for you guys uh, my name is Keith Giles I am one of your co-hosts I'm the author of Jesus Untangled, Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb, and uh, I am joined by my co-hosts, Matt and Jamal. Hey, guys. Say hi.
1: Hi, friends. My name is Jamal. I am the author of Free to Love with Choir, and it's a, just a joy to be back with you on the Hair to Hour.
2: And I'm Matt DeStefano, and unlike last week, we're going to go back to our regular way of doing the intro, so I'm going to jump <laughs> right <on>. up. <laughs> that was a little rough, I got to admit. Um So we're going to jump in by, of course, getting a word from our sponsor, which is the Unfundamentalist Group blog, and they're focused on following Jesus' commandments to love God and neighbor, and they're dedicated to opposing the toxic, power-mongering, fear-inflaming nonsense that is inherent in economic, political, societal, and religious fundamentalism. Find them online at facebook.com slash unfundamentalist or read their blog at unfundamentalists.com. I'm going to give this section to you now,
1: Jamal. Matt. It, well, first of all, I just want to say I forgive you. <laughs> um, Beautiful for for taking what's rightfully mine uh, last week, but it's okay because you know we're back to normal here, and uh, it just doesn't sound as it, it doesn't it didn't sound as good to for me to read uh, you know our sponsors' uh, message. So yeah. I really appreciate you jumping back into that. But I. Wait,
2: what, I it was memorable, though.
0: <laughs> yes. yes, it certainly was. It was definitely one we'll never forget.
1: Totally, totally. Well, I, I, before we get into like today's uh, podcast, uh, I was just wondering if I could make an announcement. As always. Sure. Why not? Awesome. Hey, guys. Um, <clears throat> we have a hotline. <laughs> Whoa. And I kind of, I'm... <laughs> Yeah, I I thought it you know well it wasn't me personally. I didn't think of this. I think I think it was a collaborative effort. Um, but we did think that it would be a good idea to create a hotline. Um, and the purpose of the hotline is people could call in uh, with their questions or with their comments. Um, and the good thing about having a hotline in this day and age is that not only can you actually you know call in and leave a, a voice message you can also even send text messages to the hotline and we can get those too so uh, let me give the number out to the listeners just in case you haven't even either maybe you haven't heard that we have a hotline or you haven't heard the number so there's a number and the number is two four zero three heresy or two four zero three four three seven three seven nine so two four zero three four three seven three seven nine write those down um, if you want you can you can write it you know, well, you know, you could just, or you could just play back, play this back, and you could just dial it as we're talking right now. You could call in right now and just call in and leave us your encouragement, uh, leave us um, disagreements, leave us concerns, or maybe even ideas about future topics. Those are always fun. But uh, I want to get into a couple of texts that we got for some listeners. So, can we have our engineer queue up the text? Awesome, awesome! Thank you so much. Make sure you check the ribbon on that too. Yeah. Um, So here's the um, here's the text. Okay, from a listener uh, by the name of Phil from Calgary. Quote: Hey guys, I am curious curious if you have a way to talk about perennial philosophy um, in a respectful way to a Christian who is not open to it. Um, I I grew up fundamentalist, and I want my friends to discover the freedom and good news that I have. Thanks. Love the show. Phil from Calgary. Oh,
0: that's great. Hmm. Perennial
1: philosophy. Let's talk about that.
0: We should probably explain what the heck that is. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What is that?
1: (laughs) Okay. Perennial philosophy. And this is, I'm reading this from, um, from an expert here, um, is it comes from the Latin, uh, which philosophia perennis, which is also referred to as perennialism and perennial wisdom. Is a It's pers- a perspective in modern spirituality that views each of the world's religions, traditions, as sharing a single metaphysical truth or origin from which all esoteric and exoteric knowledge and doctrine has grown. A more popular interpretation argues for universalism, the idea that all religions, underneath seeming differences, point to the same truth. Yeah, hmm. that is a... Uh, that is a—
0: Yeah, and we've touched on that, right? I, I think we've I've, we've had a couple of episodes where we've talked about—I mean, the, the one that jumps to mind is the one we did about um, finding Christ in non-Christian things, which was one of my favorite ones that we did. And we talked about how some of the things that Jesus taught, you know, about loving your enemy and blessing those who curse you and doing good to those who hate you, um, treating others as you want to be treated, uh, how those teachings are found in Buddhism. and you know many other uh, religions and things like that uh, so yeah um i think we've we've talked about that i think we're kind of open to that right
2: yeah and and something that pops to mind is i mean if this if this text is uh, or the the, def- the description of perennial philosophy um which is talking about metaphysics then a book that really helped me was david bentley harts uh, the experience of god and and that book um oh. it's it's I can't say I understood it all. It's a little of my head. It's on metaphysics. It's on, it's on the nature and being of God, um, where Hart makes a decent point that, it, that this is, I mean, all faith traditions are essentially pointing to the same metaphysical truth, even, and this is still maybe a stumbling block for me, the Trinitarian understanding of the Christian God, um, when explained in certain schools of like Hindu and Buddhist thought, is sort of saying the same thing. Um, so I would just point people to that book and read it 10 times because it's some of his sentences are the length of my paragraphs.
0: So <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't read that book, but thanks for the tip. I'll have to look it up, but yeah. there is a video, there's a YouTube clip of David Bentley Hart. He's being interviewed and they ask him about, um, that they'd ask him a question about all religions. Do all, do all religions teach the same thing or something along those lines? And, um, so, look, I would recommend for people to look that up too, because that was pretty eye opening yeah and then he was saying some things. the guy interviewing him would stop him a couple of times and go, "Wait a minute, what so <laughs> it was it was sort of like a big disconnect for some, but even the guy interviewing him like, "Wait a minute, what are you saying yeah. uh so I, I but the question Phil has is, uh, do we have a way maybe suggestions for how to talk about it in a respectful way to a Christian who might not be open to that idea?" um the only idea i i would have if i was trying to do something like that phil would be to sort of like um slip something in on them like i would quote something to them but not tell them where it was from and have them notice how much it sounds like jesus and then say oh yeah that was from you know and then tell them where it's from and then just kind of like if you just did that randomly here and there i think slowly they'd start to get the idea that huh maybe these other religions do have you know maybe they do have very similar ideas yeah that's just one idea
2: and 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 it's and it's not to say that all religions are saying the exact same thing uh, no, they're not. but but yeah we we can't bury our head in the sand and not notice some of the
1: similarities yeah and i think i think the more we can recognize and uh just the, the idea that i think it's really important to come to note that jesus did not come to start a new religion um that is that is a popular misconception that jesus started christianity he did not there was no such idea like that was not something that he proclaimed it's 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 human it's it's people's way of trying to classify something and try you know people want to classify it and make it a you know kind of a okay this is how we understand something to so they we create labels and borders and say okay and here are the essential doctrines to be considered a christian here you here's what you have to believe and again that's that's all subjective like somebody's making that up at some level you know whether you say oh it was the catholic church you know with the councils and or if it was whatever the apostles creeds and you know it was the that, that came out of the church or maybe it's that we go back whatever it is somebody's coming up with a criteria of this is what it means to be christian and here's here, here's what that means. Okay. It's all subjective. But when we realize Jesus did not come for that purpose to create a thing that people can belong to, then I think that could be helpful again for, 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 you know, for people just in general. Now, I love what the listener is saying, Phil, that he's saying like, okay, um, how do you explain this to a fundamentalist Christian who like, that would be a Nephilim, that'd be like, oh my gosh, it's total blasphemy. It's this new age or whatever you want to call it. like." I get that because really what what you're saying is you're coming from a different framework. So for, um, for that person, I might say, I kinda, and I love what you're saying, Keith. I think that's so key. Like being able to quote something that they would agree with without telling them the source of it and then showing them that the source is not, um, you know, that the source yeah. is something very different. So um, but the other way is you could even take them to the Bible. Like Paul does this, you know, um, like when Paul's talking to the, uh, to the Athenians, I believe he does not he use that. He said, doesn't your own, he's like, doesn't your own philosopher. And he's quoting their philosopher. I think this is an act 17 or something yeah. like that. And he goes in and he yeah. says, Hey, this is, this is what your, this yeah. what your own philosopher says. And he points to the truth that that philosopher is actually proclaiming. And he's helping them see like, look, I'm not saying anything different than what you guys already believe. We just, I'm just giving you another angle to it with maybe some more information. Um, you know but it's like that with anything but when we approach other religions or cultures yeah i mean religion there's there's helpful things within christianity there's helpful things in christianity there's true things in christianity it's not synonymous with truth though like there's some things that are not helpful uh, in christianity there's there's a lot of things that are not helpful in other religions but there are things that are helpful so i think if we approach anything and go it's my teacher i can learn from anything all truth Truth is not sectarian. Truth, truth is not tribal. Truth doesn't hmm. have a label. Truth is just truth. And even I even look at Christ that way. A lot of people, when they hear Christ, they, it's synonymous with Christianity. I don't see Christ that way. I don't even see Christ as synonymous with Jesus. Um, I see Christ as being the sum total of everything. So when we talk about Christ and we talk about supremacy of Christ, we're really talking about the supremacy of what? of reality of everything that's real. So when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, the word to use for truth there is reality. So we're talking about, he's embodying this Christ reality, which is reality in everything. And so we can, we can see that and anchor onto it um, and point to that. Jesus did it about nature all the time. He would use examples in nature of how truth is being communicated through, through lots of different kinds of things. So anyway, I think if I was communicating to a fundamentalist Christian, I would, use that point to say hey look Paul did it Paul can look at his quote unquote unchristian audience that he was talking to and find truth there we can do the same in our audience you know or our our um you know culture today we can do that through movies and music um and and it goes from there and we yep. can, but that's not limited to music and movies it can be also world philosophies world religions there are people at the end of the day there are people that are that are communicating these things so That's a great question,
0: though. Yeah, Yeah, it was awesome, really good, really good one. Um, Hey, I think it's time to move into another announcement here. I have an announcement to make. Uh, We have a Patreon page, and um, we hit our first goal, which was pretty amazing. So, want to thank everybody for helping us do that. Your support financially uh, is so so needed, so appreciated. Um, And now we can announce our first tier goal project, which is so flipping awesome. So, guys, we are going to be making. A board game. uh It's a game called the. We're going to call it the Slippery Slope, A Heretic's Journey. <laughs> oh my gosh, I I cannot wait to play this game with my family and friends. So just like the podcast, it's going to be it's going to be inter- educational. Uh, there'll be definitely be some stuff in there that people will you know you play with your friends and they'll learn something like oh my gosh, I never knew that. But also. A lot of fun we're gonna have a lot of comedy and uh some funny things with it as well so you know imagine like a Candyland kind of game and you'll all start off in the pit of hell uh and like you'll ca- have to car- go through
1: like like cards against humanity has anybody played that
0: <laughs> uh i don't know if it's, it's like that this is not gonna
2: it's not gonna go that
1: far
0: <laughs> no 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 uh so you'll you'll kind of go around the board. You'll have to start off through the, in the pit of hell, and then you'll go into uh, the perfect pastor's pasture, and you go into Calvin's corner, and then you go to King James' kingdom, and then eventually you arrive at, I guess, what do we call it? Uh, enlightenment or freedom or the heresy zone or something. Anyway, you you win by the being the first person to escape uh, can all we, those. Can can,
2: can can we call it woke as fuck? There you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure but it's going to be so much fun guys. Uh, we're, we're having fun right now, uh, coming up with the cards and the questions, and the the, the categories, it's gonna, you're going to love this so much. So, uh, but again, so thank you guys for helping us hit the goal so we can create this thing and please continue to support us because going forward, uh, after this, we want to be able to uh, hit another goal and be able to do these podcasts on a weekly basis, uh, and do even more things like maybe videos or, you know, uh, who knows all kinds of cool stuff I want to also thank our patrons this week yeah, what's uh, our what's our what? second goal that we're after oh well, we can't tell them yet do we know what it is I don't like even a, know if we've said anything
2: okay no we, we, don't, we don't know we can't say okay
0: we, well, that, that'll we be, that'll be the next surprise um, but I want to thank our patrons uh, for the last couple of weeks Matt Hewitt Daniel Rushing Richard Dean Delker Natasha Lewis and Andrew Barancic thank you thank you thank you so much um,
2: yes thank you you guys are mm-hmm. awesome
0: and, and by the way, too, we're also uh, in addition to all that, we're uh, trying to always give you guys bonus content, uh, bonus interviews, uh, bonus blog posts, and things that are only available for you. If you know to really just say thank you, Because we really do appreciate you guys for your support, and we want to give you, we just want to give and give and give as much as we can to let you guys know how much we appreciate it, and, um, and 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 thank you for partnering with us. This is really what's so great about it is the three of us, and with Ralph for the four of us um you know we love doing this and we want to do more of it but by having you guys actually financially support what we're doing uh, with the patreon page it really does make us feel like we're not alone here uh we really have we are really are building a community and um so anyway again just thank you guys so much uh i think it's time now for uh the heretic of the week
2: it's
3: the heretic of the week i'm greg boyd and i am a heretic Hi, Hi, Greg.
2: Greg. <laughs> Hi. Hey, uh, it's nice to be joining you guys. Yeah, thanks, Greg, so much for coming on the show. We're really happy to to have you on here. Uh, this is Matt DiStefano. I just wanted to start off by saying how much I appreciated you in um, oh, thanks in Kevin Miller's Hellbound, especially that was my my introduction to you. Okay. And uh, as a Universalist, I was watching you. Um, Heretic. I know, right? (laughs) Heretic. Uh, (laughs) But once I learned you were an annihilationist, I actually appreciated you more because it was like, beliefs were secondary to people. And it was like, oh, this guy would invite me to the table and have a discussion, even though we may not agree. And I just, I really loved that about you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So that being said, my my first question is, uh, why do some people consider you a heretic? Because they're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> they're dumb. <laughs>
3: uh, next question. No, uh, all right. This is gonna be quick. <laughs> well, the main thing I guess I've been branded a heretic for is that I hold that to the uh, I hold that possibilities are ontologically real, and that, of course, is a terrible heresy. Uh, so, yeah, I think because human beings are free, at least really, in my view, they're free, and and so are uh, angels that uh, we can we can go this way or that way. And until we uh, resolve possibilities into actualities, possibilities are are the only real thing that are there. And God knows all of reality exactly like it is. So if possibilities are real, then God knows possibilities. Um, and so the future isn't a, a pre-settled thing. Uh, all the facts aren't already out there. The fact of what I'll choose to do in 2021, uh, what's out there is possibilities, and that's what God knows. And for some of more conservative evangelical christians that was just rank heresy they think i'm denying god's foreknowledge or i'm denying god's omniscience uh, or god's sovereignty even mm. just by saying that humans are, are free so that's been the
2: main thing so would it would it be safe to say that it's it's typically calvinists who would um who would believe yeah. you're heretical
3: well there have been some arminians uh, who have held that but it's certainly the most vocal uh detractors have been calvinists okay And and, I was telling him, Hey, look, you guys, if you're right, then I I can't help it. I was predestined to (laughs) believe this. So
2: take it up with God. You know, I I think that's a totally fair thing to say because it's like, well, if, if there's no free will at all, yeah, I'm just programmed to believe this heresy. So, so throw your arms up. What, what the hell am I supposed to do?
3: Yeah. It's like, Blame yeah. God, not me. Greg, Greg <laughs> this is
1: Jamal here. It's good to have you on. Hi, the, Jamal. Hi, it's good to have you on the podcast here. Um, I wanted to. I have a question for you. Uh, just and again, um, I have appreciated it, just the stances you've taken and um, and just who you are and and uh, how you've encouraged people to be free uh, to to question. I actually um, have a friend who was a part of your. Church community uh, for a while, and um, she was telling me that it was just instrumental, like the freedom that you gave people to be able to think mm. and to and to not not be afraid uh, to question things. Well, thanks. Which
3: <sighs> thanks. You know, I, I always figure if Jesus says worship God with all your mind as well as all your mm. strength and your heart, uh, but the mind is a is our thinking organism, and if you're not thinking, you're not worshiping God uh, with your mind because you're not doing what your mind was created to do. So, uh, and I I always you think that. You know, people only uh, embrace—they're only passionate about beliefs when they have a when they have arrived at, at them as their own conclusion, rather than just inheriting them from somebody else. And uh, um, and if what you're believing is true, it, it, you shouldn't be afraid of any questions. You know. And so, yeah, I, I I really think thinking is a part of worship.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. That's so well said. Well, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, something in my own spiritual journey that I've realized has been happening to me over the last few years is my Perception of God uh, is, is radically changing. Just my background, I mean, I I was a very um, very devout Calvinist a number of years ago, and uh, really subscribed to that line of thinking. And uh, obviously, not there anymore. Uh, you know, my thinking has changed. Uh, but like, one of the main reasons that so much of my understanding and thinking has changed around the subject is because my understanding of of the divine of God has completely shifted. Um, so I'm mm. just curious. <clears throat> asked to, and this may be a difficult question to answer, but I'm curious to know how you would, if someone said, you know, if someone just walked up to you and had no real concept of the divine of God, and they said, hey, Greg, what is God? Who is God? How would you answer that?
3: Uh, God is love, and love is defined by the cross. First John 3.16, here's how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So I think God is cross-like love, down to his very essence. Uh, the best portrait of God that we have is Jesus Christ crucified. And so I encourage folks to keep your eyes fixed on, on the mm. crucified
1: Christ. That's good. That's good. Well, I, your background, could you t- talk a little bit about your spiritual background? Did you, you know, what was your development like? Uh, did you grow up in a Christian home? And how how has your deconstruction or process been, so to speak? How did you come to the place that you are now? What's that been like for you?
3: Wow. Uh, <laughs> how many hours do you have? <laughs> So here's the reader's <laughs> digest version. No, I, I was raised Catholic. Um but that came to an end when I was uh 12 years old uh, when my parents divorced and my my turns out my stepmother um was the only one who was really who was driving the whole religious thing. And so I st- I, I was staying with my dad and he says I never believed in any of that BS anyways. Uh and so he declared himself an atheist. So I de- said that's, you know, good enough for me too. So I declared myself an atheist. But then I came to Christ when I was 16 uh, in this radical Pentecostal church. And uh, I was in and out of there for the first you know, three or four years of, of my, my Christian life. And then I sort of evolved into more of a uh, mainstream evangelical, I guess I'd call it, charismatic evangelical. Uh, I was pastor of, uh, I worked at an Assembly of God church. And then I worked at a full gospel school while I was going through seminary and stuff. And then, um, um, all through the nineties, I, the, the evolution was mainly just, it was like you were saying about my, my picture of God and and my understanding of what the kingdom was all about. And, and uh, I don't know, I can't pinpoint the exact sources, but, um, I, I just got clear and clear about how unique the kingdom of God is and how different it is from the kingdoms of this world. And, and, um, I started noticing much more that, that Jesus' emphasis on nonviolence and turning the other cheek and Paul, feed your enemies and uh, give them something to drink if they're thirsty. And, 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 and that just became much more central to me. And so my view of God became much more, all throughout the 90s and even the first part of the century, uh, seeing God as, as defined by the cross. So God is nonviolent, uh, anti-violence. God is self-sacrificial, other-oriented, enemy-embracing love down to the core of his being. And um, uh, and that we are called we are called to manifest that character. Uh, that's I think the central job of the church is to put on display the unique character of God, and that defines the kingdom. Uh, you know, the, a kingdom is any dome over which someone is king. And so, if he is if he's our Lord, uh, then he, he, you know, he's our king. And our job is to reflect that that same character, which we can do by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, to put that on display. That's why Jesus said. You know, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you, pray for those who despitefully use you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And I, I think it was on two thousand three or two thousand four where I I first mm. noticed that that Jesus makes that the criteria for being considered a child of your Father in heaven. And you've heard it said, I you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you, turn the other cheek, and then pour on this radical love. And because um, in doing that, we manifest the character of, of of God. We 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 put on display the truth that we are born from above, and so that's been um uh you know the the central kind of thing it was a slow it wasn't like one eureka experience it was a, a gradual evolution but i'm still on you know i'm just constantly learning new things and seeing new things and you know applying new things um and so yeah it's about letting go and, and fortunately i started the church uh that i pastor uh woodland hills church uh, in maplewood minnesota i started that right the, you know I'm still a uh, kind of a mainstream evangelical uh, in 1992, so the, the church has been, you know, on the same trajectory as I am, uh, and so they with me.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Which is why, I,
3: which is why I haven't been kicked out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's very rare, and that's it's uh that's fantastic. And you know, I'm I really appreciate you talking about the kingdom and mentioning the kingdom. I know for me, I started to really ask a lot of questions because, I, obviously, coming from an evangelical. Um, in my young adult years, I was converted to evangelical Christianity, and then you know, being trained in that tradition, I, I always heard that the gospel was strictly about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. But then, you know, when I would read the gospels, I would I would see that Jesus preached the yeah, gospel yeah, sure. of the yeah. kingdom, yeah. Yeah. and I'm like, well, wait a minute, he, this is before his death and resurrection. So, what was this message that he was preaching? What's this good news Jesus was bringing if it wasn't about? himself or his own death and resurrection so he then i realized oh wait he's talking about the kingdom of god and i was like i have no idea what that is so i would uh, the question i would have for you is if someone were to ask you you know greg what is the kingdom of god how would you describe that
3: uh well it's just the dome over which god reigns the king's dome or the king's domain and so wherever uh you know people are submitted to him he reigns over them and that is the kingdom of god uh and it, it, it's it, i think it to be a, a movement the movement of all those who have uh are, are under the lordship of jesus christ and uh and you'll you always know where the kingdom is present and where it's not because it will always look like jesus um and more specifically you know i i totally agree with you uh, uh Jamel, that that i it, it was a, a unfortunate thing that pr- pr- the way the protestants have tended to think about the cross um and what the cross accomplished it tended to isolate the cross from everything else Jesus did and 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 if if mm. if, you, if you buy into some of the the penal substitution idea uh well the real important thing is that that God vented his wrath toward Jesus so he doesn't have to vent it for us so that we can go to heaven when we die um heresy i know it, it, well it, that is uh but 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 uh it, as i see it the cross it, it, everything about jesus is saving you know the, the the atonement is something that starts with the incarnation and, and goes through the ascension but the at, at the center of the whole thing is, is the cross which is i think the, the pinnacle event that re, that reveals the character of god that's why jesus said in john 12 that you know the, this is the hour when i will glorify the father referring to his his crucifixion um and and so i think the kingdom always looks like self sacrificial love where you have people uh, Showing others what they're worth to them by what you're willing to sacrifice for them. But so I always tell my people at the church that, that uh, the kingdom starts, uh, the minute we start, we, we, we bleed. It's when it pinches you. When, when your life is different because you're surrendered to Jesus, that's the kingdom. And uh, um, it, it's self-sacrificial. It's always cruciform. And, and, uh, and so well, like, you know, when, you, when you sacrifice of your budget to help people out in need, that's, that's manifesting the kingdom. Um, and in every other way that we can sacrifice for people.
0: So um, that's awesome, Greg. And yeah, you know, I had a similar story, I think, um, an epiphany about the kingdom of God. And the gospel wasn't about praying a prayer to go to heaven when you die. And, and that had a huge impact on really just how I re- was now rethinking everything.
3: It changes everything. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so I'm going to ask you because we just, it's funny because it's on my mind. We, the three of us, just finished having a conversation on a previous podcast um, about the kingdom of God and whether or not the like so so would you say then in the, in your understanding of the kingdom of god do you believe that jesus is coming in person one day like or is his coming sort of being spiritually fulfilled in the body of christ as the gospel spreads and the kingdom of god advances
3: well i i i, I, t- I tend to think that, it, it, that there's a personal return um that seems to be the way it's usually talked about uh in in the new testament and um you know, it's the whole thing that as you saw him depart, he shall return same way. Acts one, and and so I'm inclined to think that that it's going to be a personal return. But um, I, I, my default on all those kind of things is that will take care of itself. <laughs> uh the, right. the important thing is is, is how, how we're living today. And uh, you know, I, I, I want to go back to something Jim Elliot said. Where you were talking about your own spiritual journey, and I left this part out when I was talking about my my spiritual journey, but it might be relevant. But uh, I also went through a Calvinist phase. I, I, I think I've tried on every theological position there is at some point in my life. I, I,
2: you know, it,
3: that might work or that might work, and 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 so I went through a two-year period of uh, you know of being a Calvinist, and and I I could always understand how people exegetically come to that conclusion. Uh, that's what drove me to that conclusion. Um, and it was only when I could account for these texts like Romans nine and other other passages differently that I could let that go. But what I've never understood—I I, I understand why you come to that conclusion—but I've never stood how anyone likes it. Because um, even when I believed it, I didn't like it, it it's like I, I have to believe this. I'm supposed to right. say, you know, God's all glorious. But, but uh, I, I could—I never could. You know, other Calvinists would be saying, "Oh, the grace of God. The you know, he, he elected me, and the joy of that, and and it was nothing of myself. But it was all God. And hallelujah." And and I could never get into that. Um, because the minute you say he elected me, I have to think about Joe over there who he didn't elect. Or maybe my, my little baby right. daughter who he didn't elect. And I, I, and I got this picture of, 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 like, it's like I'm sitting at this table uh, dining with the most scrumptious thing. Okay, this is heaven. We're all sitting on the table having a great feast. Uh, but, but the room that we're in has glass walls. And just outside those glass walls are all the like, starving people. And, and you say, hey, you know, Jesus, can we share some of this food with them? And Jesus says, no, uh, and I and you say, why is there too little food to go around? And he goes, oh, no, I could feed everyone you know, on the planet a billion times over if I wanted to. I just choose not to, but let, let, let yep. them starve. And somehow that rules mm. the meal. I, I, mm. I, 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 yeah. I just can't, <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't feast on it. So i think Calvinists tell me that I was predestined not to be a Calvinist because I, I could never see the light and, and glorify God in that. I just It struck me as a, ter- a real ugly picture of God, even when I believed it. Yeah,
1: Greg, that that's such a great point. I'm really glad you, you brought that up. Yeah. I, I, I think I, you know, I've heard so many people uh, describe it this way. They say, you know, I don't like it, but, you know, I'm not in charge. I'm not the Lord. So I just have to accept that this is the way it is. I have to be obedient. I have to, you know, all these kinds of things. And they so discount the fact that they don't like it. And I think the way they do, the reason that they can do that so easily is because they, so they dismiss their own hearts. They dismiss their own ability. Right, right, exactly. like, why is um, somebody's discontent with this reality? I think if you just take it out of the human level, like as a parent or as a, somebody who just loves other people and you say, can, do you really believe that you are more benevolent, more loving, more compassionate patient than the divine? And I think that's, because they so discount their own spirit, then they can justify yes. um, the most heinous or evil acts in the name of being you know, obedient to a text. But I, I really see Jesus right. when he's teaching just always coming back saying, Hey, look, if you, if you people knowing that, you know, you're messed up, you know, you're confused, whatever language you want to use to that. But when he says, you know, if you being messed up know how to give good gifts to your children, how much exactly. more, not less. You no,
3: know, exactly, exactly. And so it comes down to um, you know, you have to say that God is love because he tells you to. And if you don't, maybe you're not really, uh, elect and that God's altogether good. Uh, you have to say those things, but there's no way you can actually believe it when you say it. Uh, because he, the things he ordains are not altogether good. In fact, he, he ordains every terror that's ever taken place. And then ultimately ordains who goes to the eternal terror. Um, and, and, you know, so it's, it's like to me, the, the real, uh, the real the real conundrum came when, when I, I had kids and I started thinking this child of mine might not be elect and I'm supposed to glorify God all the more for his wisdom in making my daughter reprobate and going to eternal wow. hell and it, it began to feel like the hang like a hangman's religion where you know I, I, it's like uh, I'll say this uh, because I don't want to be damned but uh, you can take my daughter if you want just don't take me it, it's a, it felt like a, a save your own skin religion. Like okay, I, I'll bow before you. I'll kiss your boots, uh, but uh, um, just just so long as I'm not damned. You know, uh, you can have my kids, have my wife, have, have everyone else, but just don't don't reprobate me. I wonder if God would be impressed by someone who says, you know, uh, forget it. I, I will not bow my knee to to this being because it's immoral. Um, I, I have a certain respect for for atheists who they're they're rejecting the wrong God. Uh, you right. know, but that's not sure. God. Yeah. And and I. I I wonder if God would be more impressed with that than than with someone who says disingenuously, "Yeah, you're all together good, all loving," and they do it just out of out of uh, out of obedience. It's a great um, great point. Yeah. Yeah, and, and 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 you're right. It, it can kill part of you because you get so used to, you know, calling good what is not good and calling loving what is not loving. That that you, know, you have to deaden that party that keeps on objecting to that. You know, we're always mm-hmm. striving for some kind of congruity in our head, and the only way you can get congruity in your head if you're believing in this the depiction of God. Is by is by deadening a part of yourself, So a sensitive so, yeah. part of you. Yeah, it is. No,
0: sorry, yeah, it, it is like uh, it's like saying, and you guys have already kind of touched on it. But it's like, how could I be more loving than God? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you know? and then right. on, on many levels, yeah, it's sure. also like a, the like the view of as you guys have touched on the view of hell here. Like, uh, so Jesus tells me to love my enemies. And, uh, you know, and to, and to overcome evil with good. Yeah. But, but when, when he deals with his, his enemies by roasting them forever and ever.
3: Yeah, yeah it's, it's the ultimate do as I say, not as I yeah. do, you know. Right. Your yeah. love is supposed to outrun my love. You know, I, I and I get this so often uh, with, with people where they ask me a question about God. And I, I, more and more, I, I my only response to them is this. Would you do that to one of your kids? Right. Uh, and, and the answer is no. People, we have such a hard time believing that. God is more loving than us, or even as loving as us. Um, But that analogy just works. You know, would you reject one of your kids if they did what you think God's going to reject you or someone else for? And uh, the answer is no.
2: Yeah, and you know, well I, I I had a Calvinist friend of mine who would always just say, Well, Matt, and he had five kids, too. And I would like, Well, okay, pick two or one to say. It. And he said, Well, Matt, you're 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 not seeing it through the eyes of God. You're seeing it through the eyes of a human. And I would just like twist up my face like, Well, what are you? You're a human. Like, how can you be saying like this seems it seems an odd thing to say that you're seeing it, you're not seeing it through the eyes of God when you yourself are just are a human?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's the ultimate pump uh, or, or punch, right. you know, where it's it's or play the mystery card, but mm-hmm. but it's words lose all. If we if when saying God is good, if we don't mean something analogous to our goodness, well then we might as well call God right. evil. You know, it, it's right. It, it only works if there's an analogy, and so I think analogy. Right. You know, I I have a lady in our church and told me that they were a uh, they had worked on a camp for young kids. Um, and the camp was run by this particular very Calvinistic church in our, uh, in the twin cities here. I won't specify names, but as a, oh, we know, as a lesson, as a lesson, here's the, uh, these kids were nine, uh, nine, nine, and 10 year olds. And the, the instructor, uh, the, the, this person who I, I'm talking to is the assistant of this instructor and the instructor gave out candy like to every third kid, but not to the rest. And then and my, my friend was thinking, oh, this would be a lesson about sharing or something. But the lesson was, uh, now, was I unfair to any of you that didn't get candy? And the answer is no, because I didn't have to give candy to anybody. So it's gracious of me just to give candy to the you know, one-third of the kids that I gave it to. Well, that's how God is. <sighs> uh, that he, he just chooses to give eternal life to whoever He wants, but He's not being unfair to the people who He, he, he lets go to hell. And I thought... Oh, can, can you think of a better way to screw up a nine or 10 year old kid's head? Yeah. You know, what if I, what if I'm not one of the chosen ones? I didn't get the candy. So maybe I'm reprobate. Maybe I'm, I'm destined to go to hell. The worst thing about it is not a damn thing you can do about it. Right. You know, it, 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 <laughs> it, 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 if you've been, if you miss the lottery, well, too bad for you. You know, there's nothing you can do about it. It's just, it, I, when I, the thing is, I don't know if you guys wanted to get on Calvinism this much, but hey, we're having fun. Why not? Fun. <laughs> but but, but the, the the thing is that that um what was I going to say now? I just got on a, uh oh the thought it must have been predestined to, to <laughs>
2: right,
1: exit right.
3: my mind right now. Um it, oh yeah it was this that it, the selling point of this is supposed to be the security it gives you right that that you know because it's it's not up to you it's up to God but but actually um I can't think of a system that is more that gives could, could make you feel more insecure right. um because whatever god's destined for you is going to happen you know now no, no one actually lives like this because they still lock their doors at night and stuff but if it's going to happen it's going to happen and if you're going to go to hell you're going to go to hell and and just because you're a believer now doesn't mean that you can claim security because there's plenty of examples and kelvin talks about this and augustine talks about this how of people who lose their faith and and that just shows that they weren't really they weren't really elect. Uh, so God can ordain okay. a reprobate person to look elect for a very, very long time, uh, <laughs> only to lose it. And that might be you. And, and you can't say that you can't claim certainty on it. Cause you don't know that they weren't certain that they were elect before they lost their faith and turned out the reprobate. So it's instead of eternal security, it gives you eternal insecurity.
2: Right. And in my next book, I, I was doing some research on Calvinism and came across this, this blog. And I felt so bad for this guy who was suicidal because of his Calvinist doctrine that he, he could not know if he would persevere to the end. Oh, I was like, wow, oh, yeah. how tragic. I felt so bad. Yeah. He's, being, he's right. He's right. No, he's absolutely I, correct. And he knew in his head, he was right, but in his heart, he was just destroyed.
3: Oh um, man. Yeah. I, my, my, my heart goes off to folks that, that uh, are abused by that system. It's, it's it's a terrible affliction.
0: Yeah, it's hard to call that good news, like what you were describing there, Greg. Like,
1: yeah, it's kind of hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually abusive, like you said. It's it's actually it's it has real psychological implications, and it's devastating to people.
3: You know that it, uh, it, 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 your audience might not believe this, but trust me on this. Uh, there's a book called "The God-Shaped Brain" by a guy, a guy named Jenkins, and he shows there that he, he doesn't mention Calvinism specifically, but he he he, he says. That that uh, when people have a, um, a fear based picture of God, one uh, that motivates them uh, by I got to do, have to do, uh, you know, or else, uh, that it actually damages your brain. Uh, whereas when people have a love based picture of God, and so they're motivated by I want to do this I, 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 out of love, uh, they have they have uh, I, I, all other things being equal, a healthy brain. And the reason is because. When you uh, when when you live under a fear based picture of God, uh, your amygdala is always subtly activated. Mm. Uh, Terror could strike at any moment. You know, God, God. God it, it's it's uh, and and the amygdala wasn't meant to operate like that, and it actually damages your your prefrontal lobe cortex, which which does all, all your reasoning. And so it's harder mm. for folks like that to to think rationally, especially about things that they're passionate about. Uh, they're they're trained to do what they do out of obedience and you believe it because this text says it and for no other reason and you call good something that you your intuition says is not good um well that 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 messes with your head and it it messes with your ability to think straight and think think rationally which kind of explains a lot if you think about it but yeah um yeah so unless you want to believe that we are hardwired to damage our brain by knowing God accurately, mm-hmm. unless we want to hold that, <laughs> and this this becomes a good argument for the existence of this loving God. Our brains are wired right. for that. Yes,
0: they only operate Amen. healthy
3: when they believe that. Yeah,
0: and I think it's also why it feels so good to finally escape that kind of uh, nonsense. Yeah, because you suddenly now are living in a place of like actual rest and peace. Yeah, which are the things that Jesus said He came to bring to us. Right. Enter exactly. into my rest and take my yoke upon you. It's easy. And I'm the Prince of peace. I give you peace, not as the world gives. And, and your joy will
3: be full yeah. and my joy will be complete in you. Yeah. And yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. How can, the good news really is good.
0: Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It's it's even better than we think it is. And I think that's that's what I've loved discovering. The more I've been deconstructing from my evangelical upbringing to kind of question all these things about God, his character, uh, you know, that, that he really looks like Jesus. That if we want to know what God looks like we see the clearest picture in Jesus and to say that not only is Jesus God, but God is like Jesus. And, right. uh, and so, yeah, then suddenly it does lead us into this place of like, well, cool. You know, I'm, I'm loved and I'm accepted and I'm uh treasured. I'm a child yep. and, um, you know, like all these beautiful things and I can now step into his rest and I can enjoy his peace and joy and uh, all these things. And without fear, I'm not living with this constant thing over my head. Um, he's not going to smack me, you know, he's not looking for an excuse to squash me.
3: Right, 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 so. right. Yeah, you know, a, a, a big part of that, I mean, when, when that really gets on the inside, really believes, takes Jesus out of his word when he says, if you see me, you see the father. Uh, when that really gets on the inside, it, it, it completely changes everything. But let me, let me just throw out this little uh, infomercial, if I may. <laughs> um, one of the bigger obstacles to this, and one of the things that makes, I think, Calvinism, uh, a possibility for some people, and why they have trouble really trusting Jesus when He says, "If you see me, see the you see the Father," is is the Old Testament, yep. where you know you've mm-hmm. got God commanding genocide and uh, other uh, terrible atrocities, um, and and so what w- w- what I think most evangelicals do is they they give those portraits of God the same kind of authority that they give Jesus. Mm. Uh, they're accurate depictions, and so to arrive at our conception of God, rather than focusing on Jesus, we have to sort of you know, do a montage of all the biblical portraits uh, and and smush them together, and that's how we're that, That's our picture of God, which is why I think so many evangelical Christians have uh, schizophrenic you know mental pictures of God. Right. Um, and so, what I what I have argued recently uh, in, in two books that were published last year, Crucifixion of the Warrior God," and then the layperson's version is called uh, "Cross Vision." Is is uh, I maintain that if we interpret those uh, those violent portraits of God in the Old Testament through the lens of the cross, we can see something very different than what the original audience saw. And we can actually see that God's been doing throughout history what He does on the cross, which is He, bear, he's, he, he, he stoops to bear our sin, and then He takes on an appearance that mirrors the ugliness of that sin. And if the cross truly reveals God, it reveals what God's always been mm-hmm. like. And, and so we should read Scripture asking, where else might God have revealed His beauty by becoming ugly and, and bearing our sin? And so, uh, yeah, for folks who are wrestling with that, you might want to check one of those two books. out. Yeah,
0: excellent. Yeah, and I was about to ask you um, we were kind of coming here near the end of the uh, the interview, anyway. Unfortunately, but we could—I'm sure we could keep on going for another easily another half hour. But um, Greg, I I love you, man. I thank you. By the way, you wrote the forward. Oh, you for, wrote the forward to my book, Jesus Untangled, and that was such a gift to me. And um, that's a great and I, book. Thank you, and I appreciate you coming on the show. And um, and uh, yeah, the. Crucifixion of a Warrior of God is really great. I think, um, are, are you working on anything at the moment you want people to know about? I mean, uh, and how do, how can people keep up with uh, what you're doing more?
3: Sure, sure. Uh, well, I am supposed to get back to this project that I have had going on for 15 years called Myth of the Blueprint, um, showing the influence of Hellenistic philosophy on the early church. But uh, some things happened right after I finished writing uh, Cross Vision last year that had led me to, uh, once again, go in and another direction where I'm right now writing a book on biblical inspiration. Wow. Um, that, that, and I, I'm, I'm offering a cross centered model of inspiration uh, that, that can, that, that can ex- affirm. I mean, like most models of inspiration are done in response to what are perceived as problems in the Bible. You know, you have contradictions, uh, you have historical mistakes. They mention they, they, they quote a source, but give the wrong citation uh, right. or historical inaccuracies. Yep. Or, you know, immoral portraits of God, and, and, um, and yet this is all supposed to be God's word. And so people tweak the idea of inspiration to try to accommodate that kind of stuff. But what I'm arguing in this book is that why I think those are problems. Um, uh, if, you, if you adopt a, a cross-centered model of God, where God is willing to bear our, our... You know, God revealed himself, his definitive revelation came through the one who bore all the sin of the world and, and all that was wrong and broken with the world. And so if, if, if the definitive revelation is like that, why would you think that the, the written witness, which is ultimately to be pointing to the cross, uh, would be entirely free of those things? You know, it, 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 we should rather expect it. If the cross looks foolish and weak, we should expect the witness to the cross to look foolish and weak. Um, and, and, and so wow. th- these aren't problems any more than the sin that Christ bore is a problem to the revelation of God. No, it's part of the revelation. because It shows how far God's willing to stoop out of love for us. Well, I think all the problem, so-called problems of the Bible aren't problems at all. Uh, they testify to a God who's willing to stoop as low as He needs to, and uses people right in all their fallibility, and uses He accomplishes His, his purposes through weak and foolish and erroneous humans, uh, and and that's part of His greatness. Uh, you know, he, uh, His His strength is made perfect in our weakness, right? I think that's that's a biblical principle. But yeah, so that'll be out. In a year or so, wow. I guess.
0: Hey, you, that's amazing because you and I are kind of tracking. My next book is Jesus Unbound, and I'm talking about almost similar things about how our relationship with uh, Scripture and uh, and kind of seeing Scripture through the lens of Christ and that kind of stuff. So you and I should c- compare notes.
3: <laughs> yeah, I better hurry up so I get my book out first. Well, hurry up, man. <laughs> you Otherwise, <laughs> you're going to mind my sales, man.
0: Yeah, I don't want to cut I don't want you. that happening. I don't want to do that okay. Well, hey, man, I love you, Greg. Thank you so much for being on the. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me on. Uh, appreciate
1: you guys. Thanks, too. Greg. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank God you. God bless you,
3: and God bless your, your your
2: podcast. Take care. Bye, Greg. All right. Wow, that was fun. Oh, that was so cool. I like that. Hey, it's, it's it's always fun to to come together with someone you might disagree with and shit on someone you both disagree with.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, like my yeah. favorite thing to do in the world.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I, I love the fact, you know, because a lot of folks who listen to this podcast and, and us, our journey too, you know, all of us at some point came out of an institu what we call institutional church world, you know, and it's, you know, I I had a, a, a phase in my life in which like nothing good happened in the institutional church after I had stepped out of it. And, you know, <laughs> um, I felt like, Oh, yep. that's, that's Babylon. That's, you know, whatever name I want to put on it, but it's, it's, it's always cool. It's cool for me sometimes to recognize that, you know, just because somebody builds a box doesn't mean that God doesn't transcend in and outside the box. It's not like God's not God's not just outside the box. God's inside the box, because God's mm-hmm. all around the box. Because the divine is always communicating, and it's just beautiful to to, to recognize, come back to the, the the reality that yeah, here's Greg Boyd, who's a pastor of a mega church, you know, and um, is literally responsible the things he's proclaiming. Like, I love the fact that he's actually leading people out of the box from within the box. Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah. It blows yeah. my mind.
0: Yeah. And I feel the same way about him. I love Greg, by the way. Greg has always been, it's just been so amazing to me, amazing to me how uh, he's always been very accessible and very, you know, friendly and um, just a really great guy. But I mean, I feel the same way about Greg and, and, and Brian Zahn, Bruxy Cavey, Brad Jerzak, um, you know, all those guys. Cause, Cause, you know, Jamal, you and I, kind of went through that uh, organic church house church kind of um, phase and I'm I'm still doing house church stuff, but, um, but yeah, you certainly can create, you can pick up a mentality that, Oh, if they're in the traditional church, they're bad, they're evil, they're corrupt. But it's really not true. These guys are, they're standing for non, they're standing against uh, the idea of nationalism and tribalism. They're speaking out about, you know, the gospel being about nonviolence and loving your enemy Uh, And they're taking hits for it, you know, they're standing up for, they're affirming LGBTQ people and, uh, and again, and standing up for universalism and all these kind of different ways of thinking. Um, They're standing against penal substitutionary atonement theory. Uh, I mean, when I see those guys doing stuff like that, I'm like, wow, I don't really care that you're, (laughs) I I don't even care that you're in a traditional church. The fact that there are traditional churches that are willing to embrace these kinds of ideas, it makes me happy.
2: Mm Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that 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 was my big thing is like when I came out of that the if you want to call it the institutional church is the backlash that you kind of become really dualistic and you say what I came from is all entirely bad and it's it's a really good reminder like you guys both point out that yeah that's not the case there are there are a lot of good things going on in if we want to call it the institutional church as long as we pay attention to it and we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. because like you said, let's not, let's not always just write off everyone who is a pastor of a huge church. Mm-hmm.
0: That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so, uh, I would like us to, um, I guess we should probably move into our, our topic now. I don't have a good segue yeah. uh, from that to the topic, but, um, if you're, unless you're living under a rock, uh, the last couple of days and weeks, you have probably noticed that there's, uh, there's some stuff going on in the Middle East, and um, not that there isn't usually always something going on in the Middle East, but we have things are reaching a really um, fever pitch at the moment, and um, a lot of that has to do with the fact uh, that Trump uh, declared that he were going to move the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, and in, in a way tacitly um, sending a signal that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, which of course it isn't, it's Tel Aviv. Um, but by doing that, and by the way, they did that, um, not coincidentally, uh, they did this by design, uh, and opened it on the 70th anniversary on the exact day of the 70th, 70th anniversary of Israel being declared a state and, um, in attendance, by the way, again, not an accident here, uh, that in attendance at the ceremony of the opening of the U.S. embassy on the, on the anniversary of the 70th anniversary of Israel becoming a state, uh, Evangelical Christian pastors John Hagee and Pastor Jeffries from um the Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, were on hand to give the, you know, benediction invocation, opening prayer slash sermon, whatever. Uh it's you know, again, what you would you would you would wonder, you should wonder if you if you're not paying attention, you should say, why would those guys be there? Like what the heck is John Hagee doing at a, you know, a, a US government embassy opening? Uh or Jeffries, right? right. Well, it's because, come on, it's again not an accident uh, that um, that these guys are dispensational, uh, Zionist evangelical Christians. Who uh, so? There's a huge theology right behind this. We've done we've done podcasts already on dispensationalism uh, before, and talked about the the dangers of that. But see, now we're really seeing the real dangers of mixing faith and politics. The real dangers of of mixing a toxic nationalism, Zionism, and dispensationalism with foreign policy uh because <clears throat> as they were opening you know in fact as it was happening as they were opening up this embassy uh elsewhere in palestine uh in i think it was in gaza uh, 61 innocent nonviolent unarmed protesters were shot uh, and killed and i think several thousand were injured um as the result of this well not even as a result of this those protests have been going on for actually months uh, leading up to this point. But it intensified um, uh, on that uh, on that coinciding of that opening. And uh, it's just, it's heartbreaking to see. And then the re- I think what we wanted to talk about in this podcast wasn't, it's not just the tension between the state of Israel and Palestine. Of course, there's all kinds of theology behind that. But also the particular sort of weirdness and strangeness, and this is what really hurts my heart, is to see... Christians in America, because they're sort of blinded by this dispensationalism and Zionism uh, and nationalism, um, cheering on what's happening uh, on, the, on the Israeli side, and even justifying 61 people who are innocent, unarmed protesters getting shot dead, um, as if, well, those Palestinians are terrorists, they're bad people, uh, God gave them that land. And what they don't understand is that Palestinian doesn't mean terrorist. Palestinian doesn't even mean Muslim. Because there, there's a whole lot of Christian Palestinians who are being oppressed uh, in the largest open-air prison uh, in the world uh, over there in Gaza and in the West Bank. And, um, and so basically, it's, the weird thing is, is that Christians are basically cheering on the oppression of other Christians by right. people from, uh, from another nation. Uh, it's really bizarre. It's really crazy, but it's because of this theology, and um, it's just really concerning, and that's why we, we felt like we should probably do a podcast on this today and, and just try to talk about this.
2: Yeah, and, and I don't know if this will detract us two months, but I'll say something offensive. They don't give a fuck about Israel or Palestine. No. I mean, I mean because here's at the end of the day, here's what's at stake. Is their eschatology. They don't give a shit. Israel Jews go to hell and burn forever. Yep. In their theology. So they don't give a fuck about them. Yep. Only they they care only insofar as it helps bring about their eschatology, wherein which they get to go be among the blessed ones who were elected or who, who get to go party with Jesus. But the the people involved in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Only are there to be pawns in their game. Yep. It doesn't fucking matter because at the end of the day, they're getting roasted forever. Both sides.
0: Yep. yep. Yeah. If if Hagee and Jeffries were to be really transparent and honest, what they would say at the opening of that ceremony with all these Jewish people in attendance would, would basically be. Um, we're so excited to open this embassy in the middle of Jerusalem, knowing that we're kicking the hornet's nest and a bunch of you are probably going to die in a massive war. And then the antichrist is going to show up, deceive you and then slaughter every last one of you. And then we will dance with Jesus as we step over your burning bodies and walk into, into heaven. Hallelujah. And, and then, you know, in Jesus name, amen. Like that's what they would really say, because that's really what they believe. That's really what they mean. And so when you see them smiling from the stage, and cheering on you know uh the israeli flag and 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 giving big hugs to netanyahu and all that stuff understand that that's what's going on behind their eyes and behind that smile in their brains they're thinking oh goody, um this we hope this starts a war we hope that palestinian people rise up and and uh have some massive battle and we hope that this brings forth the antichrist and the beast and the uh, blah 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 so that Jesus can hurry up and nuke you people, and we can just ride home with Jesus and and you know go into heaven. It's pretty yeah. sick and twisted, actually.
2: Yeah, and and I you, I think you were in that. You guys were both in that camp. That was my worldview for so long. And the reason I can say all this, and I can imagine you are saying this, is that that's that's what we believed. So yep. <laughs> I mean, I I mean, I it wasn't that we were like Hagee and out there championing the cause, but it was like, that was what we, those are our people. You know, those are the people, uh, where we come from those. That was, what was on my TV every now and then I would see, I knew who John Hagee was. I'd see him on the, on the, on the television, you know? So yep. it's like, yeah. I, and, and a part of me, the only, see for me, the only thing I, the only reason I didn't want this to happen because I didn't, I didn't believe I was gonna be raptured because, I said fuck, and you know I, I did naughty things, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the guy left behind, you know, in those stories. So, otherwise, I, I might have been right there, rah rah, go America, so that we can go party. Yep. Yeah,
1: yeah, and you know, <clears throat> growing up, you know, obviously with uh, my my father was Muslim when I was when I was young, and I remember growing up with um, hearing stories about Israel, but I I grew up with hearing the stories of the atrocities of, of the Israelis um how they were anti-muslim and how they you know the things that they did so that was kind of my backdrop um growing up but then obviously i became an evangelical christian at a young adult and you know was, went to a you know went to liberty university southern baptist college you know jerry falwell all that whole thing where you know very very mm-hmm. pro-israeli and pro pro-america kind of thing and so i remember um by you know drinking that kool-aid as well and like And then, and then I had my, I went, I visited there my, for my first time, I went to the Middle East in 2006 and, um, visited Israel. And I remember when I was there, I had some contacts, um, in the West Bank. And, um, but when I was crossing in, I, we went to Jordan first, went to Egypt and then to Jordan. And then when we were crossing into Israel from Jordan, I was treated very well in Jordan. Obviously. I mean, my name is Jamal. It's an Arabic name. People you know, thought I looked Arabic. I mean they they assumed I was Muslim kind of thing. So I was treated well. But then as soon as I crossed the border at the border crossing, I was with 12 Americans. And um and so they held me though. They let all eleven of my well actually no there was there was 12 Americans and there was myself and then a guy with Lebanese who was Lebanese uh descent. They held us both back and they found out that we had to catch a bus by five PM um, to go up to Jerusalem. We were crossing from the Southern, we, we crossed from the Sinai in Egypt into, like, uh, into Israel uh, from the Southern border. And then we were catching the bus and taking up Jerusalem. And so we had to be out by, and this was like morning, like 10 a.m. or something. And we just had to be in Jerusalem by, oh, we had the last bus left that city at 5 p.m. to go to Jerusalem. So as soon as they found that out, they let all the 10 other Americans through, but they held myself and this Lebanese guy with Lebanese descent because of our names and literally they interrogate us all day in this room, took us in the side room, interrogate us all day. And then they would not let us go. And they let us go at five Oh five. Um, just so they could just, and, and again, these were like 18, yep. 19, 20 year old, you know, Israeli soldiers. And that was a picture for me to see, okay, this is the level of animosity. I mean, I just had a Muslim name or it's an Arabic name, Jamal. So it's an Arabic name, but they assumed I was Muslim. They didn't know, but that's the content. So anyway, I remember, so that started off our trip in Israel and then we made it to Jerusalem, missed our bus, you know, had to stay the night there and it was pretty cool story how it all happened. But anyway, we ended up going to Jerusalem and I was treated really, I I don't say badly, but with, yeah, it was not friendly. The, The Jewish people. And again this is a broad brush I'm not trying to say all Jewish people are like but my experience in Israel was not a friendly one but then I had a contact in the Palestinian in the in the, in in the uh the West Bank so it was in Jericho and this was under again Hamas had just taken over governing the West Bank and again so they were considered a terrorist organization by the United States so it was a little bit we were a little bit nervous to go in there we found a way in there, got, you know, it was, it's like you said, Keith, it's like a prison camp. It was surrounded by fences and barbed wire. I remember going yeah. in there and as soon as I got in there, I mean, the we were treated so well. Like the people, the, my contact in there, like he just like, they housed us, they loved, we got to meet a lot of, um, again, at the time I was, you know, very much a part of the evangelical Christian world. So I was interested in meeting Palestinian Christians. So, and I did, I met a lot of Palestinian Christians and I started to rec- recognize like, wait a minute, they don't see me or others through this grid of Jew-Gentile. Um, and so therefore, they were very accepting of us, loving of us. Um, and even though they were under the occupation and under, and feeling a lot of the weight of the Israeli occupation, it was, I was like, wait a minute, why did they view me differently than the Israelis view me? And I started seeing like, oh, wait a minute, it's the same reason the Christians view the Palestinians in such a hostile way. It's because we're still looking through this grid of Jew and Gentile. And again, I come back to this idea with this reality, you know, we know the scripture, it says in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. And I don't think, I think that's completely misunderstood in, in the Christian world. It's like, wait a minute, there are no Jews. There are no Gentiles. We're all the same. And under, when we understand the roots, the reality of Christ, there is no room for these distinctions. Um, and then, of course, people are the one creating the distinction. So now we have an Israeli state. We have we're trying to have a Palestinian state. When there's a wall that goes up, and people are divided, and it's like this is the this is the exact problem that we're running into. And uh, Christians are perpetuating the problem. They're not actually the solution. Jesus came. Look, if we truly understood the the spiritual root of what Christ is, we would not have the tribes. There would be no need for it. No, nope. it's just fascinating. That's right.
2: Yeah, and th- and this for me is not, and I can almost I can almost hear people what they're going to respond, but this isn't about Judaism versus Islam or 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 something to that effect. No, because th- th- no. Th- this for me is about state stuff. This is about politics. This is a nation mm-hmm. state of of what we call Israel. See, for me, the the beauty of Judaism and the Jewish understanding is that Judaism. Is there to bless the others, and this is what's so beautiful and profound about uh, the Jewish prophets. And Jesus points to this in Luke four, and he's telling the people, "Look, Elijah blesses the widow in in, in Sidon, and Elisha blesses name in the the Syrian, yep. a military guy who probably killed yep. killed or ordered yep. the the killing of, of Israeli or Israelite soldiers." So. But yep. the true Jewish understanding is that it's a blessing of the nation. So that when we look at the current status in, in the Middle East, it's it's not about that because that's the straw man. It's about a nation state that is committing atrocities that has nothing to do with Judaism per se.
0: No, it doesn't. No, and, and here's the thing too. The Christians get so confused. It's a very confusing thing. Um, you know, they look at the the israel that's there now in the middle east that's the nation state that's there now that started in 1948 and they look at that and in their brains they think right. these are the same jewish right. people that i'm reading about in yeah. my bible and they're right. not um that there's nothing there was no prophecy by the way that, that god was going to give them a state again that was something politically that was done by the british and the un um and there i could we could go into all that stuff it's probably really boring um uh, I don't want to go if I want to get into that, but but because they 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 don't look at it like you're saying, Matt. They don't look at it like this is purely a political situation. They keep, they in fact, just today on Facebook, you know, I, I was trying to talk to somebody and they said, "No, God gave them that land, you know, in the Bible, and you know, He promised Abraham it was to his generations." Blah 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 blah, blah. and it's like, gosh, well, if you keep going back to that and you think that all of this is still based on. Something in in Deuteronomy or Genesis or something, um, then yeah, we can't even have a conversation. But but here's the thing: um, I, I wanted to talk about some of those scriptures, okay? Because because again, when I was in this, these are the scriptures that were always brought up from the pulpit, right? Um, Genesis twelve three: God says to Abraham, "I will bless those who bless you, and uh, basically, you know, anyone who curses you, I will curse." And in, but he says at the end of that, "And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed," like you you alluded to there, Matt that the point of God blessing Abraham and his seed was so that they would be a blessing to the entire world. Unfortunately, they never did do that. Uh, they never fulfilled that. But Jesus came to fulfill that. Jesus' point was to say, I'm going to be a blessing to the nations, right? Even when he's born, right? When the when the angels declare, you know, it's peace on earth to all men, right? Peace on earth, earth and goodwill to everyone. It's to all the nations. It's uh, He's intended to be a blessing to everyone all people, uh, not just for the Jews to keep for themselves. Um, they're in, they're blessed to be this blessing to everyone. And that's something that's been fulfilled in the body of Christ. And then also the other promise about the land specifically that everybody refers to uh, is Genesis 12, seven, a few verses after that. And it says, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, unto thy seed will I give this land. But what we miss is that in Galatians three sixteen, Paul refers to that verse. For God said to Abraham, unto thy seed will I give this land. And Paul makes this whole point where he says the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. And I'm quoting, by the way, from Galatians 3.16 right now. Paul says, promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds, plural, as referring to many, but rather to one, quote, and to your seed, that is Christ. And then his whole point is, that Christ was the fulfillment. In other words, when, when God said to Abraham, I'm going to give this land to you and to your seed, he meant to Christ. And by giving it to Christ, Christ now has given it has given us everything, right? All things yeah. are ours. It's not just this patch of land, right? Jesus is the king of the universe. What the heck does he want with a little patch of land somewhere in the Middle East? He's the king of everything, the earth, the, all the planets, all the galaxies all the universe is, it's not about a piece of property. But then Paul goes on to say in Galatians 3, 28, when then he says to us, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. So that it's not about Jewish people. God is not a racist. God is not only blessing people who have a certain race or ethnic background. And by the way, he never did. Um, you know, there were people even in the Old Testament who weren't Jewish people by birth, but who, because they believed God, you know, were brought into the Jewish faith. That happens even in the New Testament, where there are, where there are people who are yeah. Romans who believe in God and who uh, go and worship at the temple. There's even a place in the temple for Gentiles to worship God. So, um, and at the same time, you have people who who maybe were Jewish by birth, uh, but. But didn't love God and didn't serve God and rejected God and rejected the Messiah and crucified the Messiah. So again, it, it's never really been about the ethnicity of the person. It's been about, as Paul says, the circumcision of the heart. Are their hearts soft and open to God? Are they listening to God? Are they following Him? Are they abiding in Christ? Is Christ abiding in them? Well, if so, then they're the children of Abraham. And that doesn't mean, it doesn't matter if they were born in the Philippines or Korea or anywhere they're a child of abraham
1: yeah and i think i think uh everything's a metaphor i would come at it with this as a metaphor like the idea of the land it's not a physical land even that's a metaphor that was a picture it's all these types and shadows and pictures the land is a picture you know milk and honey it's it's a picture of peace and flow yeah. and it's, it's actually yeah. it's actually an, a symbol of an internal reality and so that's part of it i think also you know, there's been a debate within the history of Christianity of like, you know, did the, did God fulfill his promises to Israel? Or are they going to come, you know, cause of all these, right. is it, or is the church now, sometimes we call this replacement theology where the church replaces Israel. And, and I think that's a misnomer too. That's just as sectarian, um, in my opinion, uh, as, you know, I don't think it's the church that is now the, where this is fulfilled because, the, because anytime we talk about church, we're still talking about select. We're still talking about, I don't, I think this goes beyond the called out ecclesia or assembly of people. I think we're talking, when we talk about Christ, I think we have to come back to understanding that we're not just talking about Jesus. We're talking about everyone, humanity. This is the destiny Mm -hmm. of all people is to be in the land and the land is peace. the, The land is flow. So for example, Peter had the same idea. Again, we're talking about evolution of consciousness here. So Peter, in his, you know, primitive ideas were thinking, okay, Jesus, the Messiah is coming to restore the kingdom to the Jewish people. So Israel, like in the days of David are going to, you know, come back. And of course that was not the case. And Jesus, like he asked the question now, like even after the resurrection, like is now, are you going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus like, blew it off. Like, Hey, like don't don't even go there. Like, wait here. You need to be, basically says you need to be enlightened because the spirit's going to come upon you. Wait here. Don't even, you wouldn't even ask the question. So then later, um, you know, I love it in the Peter's letters that Peter is now saying, "Oh, I get it. You are the 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 the, the royal. Pre- you're the you're the chosen people. You're the land. You're basically you're the nation." Um, coming back to it, saying yep. because so he got it in that sense, but I think it's still expanding. So you know, he's writing a letter to probably people who are professing faith in Jesus, and and but I think it even goes beyond just people who profess faith again in Christ. There is no distinction. So, in order to have a nation state, you have to have people with nationalities. You have to have Americans to have America. You have to have Israelis to have Israel. You have to have, and so like you have to have Jews, and and of course, this is is predominant. Like Israel is a Jewish state, a nation state. That's what makes it Israel. So, but I think if you had, if we really understood, like in Christ, there is in there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. That you can say that about anything. There is neither American nor Canadian nor Mexican nor Russian nor, mm-hmm. you know, this that might be we have cultural heritage. I'm not to deny the uniqueness of the culture, but at our identity root, there is none of these, these divisions there and in Christ. And so then you have to ask, well, what's in Christ? Everything. Like that's the reality. Like according to Paul, there is mm-hmm. nothing that's not in Christ. And so I wanted to read some lyrics, if I could, just to a song that I think is divinely inspired. It's a I would consider it to be such the heart of what of the message of Christ is these lyrics to the song. It just came to me and I wanted to read it uh, in this conversation.
0: Is it a country music song? It's actually not. I a hope country. it's not a country music song. It's not. Okay, um, good.
1: And it's not Celine <laughs> Dion, although <laughs> good. I love Celine Dion so much. I really do. Like I Where's love the heresy
2: music. button? Come on. <laughs>
1: But but here here here's some lyrics here, and you guys may have heard this before, and I'll share who wrote who wrote it later. But uh, here's the lyrics: Imagine that there's no countries, it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us, and the world will be as one. And that is from John Lennon. Is that Kanye? That's a that, <laughs> close second. That's a close second, though. That's a good guess. This is, this is from John Lennon, <laughs> obviously. And I just love that. It's, the, it's, it's one. It's basically, you know, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. And that, to me, people look at that and go, oh, that's, that's just like, no, that is, to me, this is the message of, that Jesus embodied. This is the gospel. This is what Paul's saying. In Christ, there is none of these things, and in Christ is not a sectarian statement. It's not saying, "Okay, I don't believe it." I think we're not understanding it correctly. If it's sectarian, we're talking about by saying Christ, we're talking about the expansion. It's an expansive word, not a limiting word. So this is, I love that song for the very reason.
0: Yeah, uh, I like, I like what you're saying. I wanted just there was something you said at the beginning of that that I wanted to back up and just touch on, but then I do, I totally agree uh with where you where you ended up where you landed there about there being like in Christ I don't think there should be any tribes. I think that thing about the thing about Jesus is when he says, follow me and model me, uh part of what he's saying is, I'm someone who doesn't play the tribal game. So uh in in Christ, that's why in Christ there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free. You know, we just had we just had um the naked pastor Uh, David Hayward on on the last podcast and one of my favorite cartoons of his I have a t-shirt of it is uh, everybody with these giant pencils drawing you know boxes around themselves and separating themselves and Jesus is walking through with this giant eraser erasing all the lines and I I think that's an accurate picture Jesus is erasing lines he's erasing tribalisms uh nationalism all these kinds of things that we use to separate ourselves his goal is to make us one we would all be one as uh even as he and the father are one um, but I wanted to back up to something you said at the beginning about, uh, because you, you alluded to replacement theology and all that. Um, cause I, I just wanted to clarify it because, uh, a lot of times dispensationalists, um, will, will, they'll, they'll, they'll say, well, anyone that dis- disagrees with us is, is, uh, following replacement theology. And what they mean, as you said, was, is the idea that the church has replaced Israel. Um, but that's not what actually it, we really believe or people who believe who don't believe dispensationalism believe what they believe is is that that um Christ fulfills uh, all of those shadows and pictures that were that were about Israel that Christ is the fulfillment they were always about him and that he has fulfilled all of them and that now anyone who's in Christ is also um you know the recipient of those promises as well so it's not it's not replacement in, in fact if anything i would argue that that dispensationalists are the ones who have replaced something. And I think it's actually more dangerous because what they've done is they've replaced uh Jesus with a uh, secular Jewish state and said that uh even that that it should be that Christ has fulfilled all these things. And what they're doing is denying that Christ has fulfilled all those things and said, No, we're still looking for this secular Jewish state over there in the Middle East to fulfill these promises. And that to me is a little more dangerous. And again, it just perpetuates more of this uh Division and tribalism and violence and us versus them and all that stuff. Because I, I agree, Jamal, When if we really fully understand who Jesus is and what he's about, he's wanting us not to identify as an American, as uh, an Israeli, as a whatever, right? Or, or as a Jew or a Gentile, uh, as a slave or a free, or as a ri- someone who's rich or someone who's poor or whatever. Like he wants us to to remove those labels and just to be a member of the human race. We're all brothers and sisters. We're all children of God. We're commanded to love God and to love others, to love one another as he has loved us. Um, and if we could really get that, then we wouldn't fall for this stuff. We wouldn't be so easy, easily manipulated when people want to tell us these stories about um, these dispensational fables about how we're waiting for the Antichrist to show up in the, in, in the Middle East and burn a bunch of people so we can go to heaven. And even if we heard that story, what we would say is, "Ooh, that's disgusting! That is horrible!" And we would reject it. We would say, "Jesus wouldn't play that game. That's not what what Jesus is about." Yeah, and I, um, we wouldn't look at that story and think that's something God was saying. Yeah, here's my plan.
1: Right, and I, I think um, this situation, just the entire conversation about prophecy in the Middle East and what's going to happen, I think it shows us the danger when we outsource. Um, what we think can happen in the world when we outsource it. So I think we're so much, so much of of what we've been through within Christianity is like to, this idea that God is sovereign. And I honestly don't believe that in the way that I used to believe that. Um, and then maybe we could even do a whole episode about why God is not sovereign <laughs> in that sense. But that's a whole other conversation. Right. But the idea is like we've been so taught that okay, there's this plan. It's outsourced, out of our control. It's just like following a script. So we're looking, we're watching the news. And we're looking for these anything that's going to confirm what we think is going to happen in the future because we're so ready to get out of here, and to have this this life stop so that Jesus can come back or something. And so the idea is like, oh well, we need Israel to be in the land, and we need the Jews to go back there, and we need blah blah blah. We need this this and this. And so like, there's this emphasis in wanting to promote this idea that has been taught to us that's so out of our control, and this is somehow we think God's plan for how the the world is going to culminate how this age is going to culminate how what's going to bring jesus back and all this thing and we don't realize that we're actually creating the wars that we think are yes. inevitable
0: oh yes that's and so right. like, yeah god needs our help no. somehow to create this stuff i don't get it. we created
1: yeah. the nation state we created the wall that's yes. dividing the jews and the gentiles we created um all the things that we are now lamenting and presidents are working there you know trying to come up with some peace solution not this president i honestly just think that he's trying to confirm (laughs) uh you know the biases or whatever but like um but i mean in in, traditionally there are people they're trying to figure this one out but really what's causing the problems are, are a group of people who think that they're following god's plan that's already been laid out not realizing they're the one doing it it's not god it's them doing it that shows what it shows for me is to say okay listen We are the ones that are creating the world the way it is. If there's war and craziness in the Middle East, it's because we're looking at the world through this predeterministic kind of lens in which we think this is how—I mean, the Muslims do it, too. I'm not just blaming the Jews or the Christians. I mean, the Muslims have this idea of this is how the world's going to end, too. As far as Islamic ideology, yep. I don't want to lump everybody in that. Not all Christians are doing this either. Um, but yep. but th- there's this idea the Jews. This is our God-given land. This is what the promise is given to Abraham and his descendants. And so this is our land. And we're still viewing the world through the set of, this is the divine decree, and we can't do anything about it. And it's like, no, actually we can We are the ones, if we can create division and war, we can create peace. And it starts with how we view exactly. one another. If we can come back to this idea, if we didn't view Jew or Gentile. There are no Jews or Gentiles in reality. They're just people. They're humans. I mean, there's, you know. Yep. It's yep. then we're or we're not Muslims we're not Muslims first. We're not born Muslim, we're not born Jewish or Christian. It's like we're, I think that's the way you move forward in this whole conversation is to say, okay, guys, we're creating there is no out there's no divine plan that we're following the script for. <laughs> we're creating this thing and so we can create the world we want. I know that's I know, there's no room for outsourcing our power away anymore. Otherwise, we're going to blow the world up. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree.
2: Yeah. Or, or if we do, if we do view it through God's end all plan, I think that's why we then go back to this. For me, at least, is this idea of, of universal restoration or, or the theory of apocatast- apocatastasis yeah. in in Greek, you know, uh, where we view the ending as very, 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 very good for all people. <laughs> And so for me, then it's like, well, if the ending is very, very good for all people, how in the hell can I justify making it not so good right now in my present moment? Yeah. So if if we are going to view things eschatologically, it better be a little more inclusive than the bullshit stories we tell ourselves in all our faith traditions where God is for us and he's against them.
0: Yeah. And you know, here's, I was thinking about like the, um, uh, this is so, this is so right on guys, because. It's um if we could just get rid of or debunk this, get, you know, help Christians to, and it like you said, it's not just Christians, but but Christians are sort of our where we came from, right? These are sort of our people that we uh, at least used to identify with. Like if we could just help them break away from this narrative and stop, you know, abandon this idea that certain things have to happen in the Middle East so that Jesus can go in and come back, and we're in the last days. Which by the way, the New Testament said we were in the last days two thousand years ago. Um, you know, it's <laughs> so a, the
1: post last days now.
0: Yes. It's, it's the, how long are these freaking last days? Like if we could just, if we could just gr- embrace the idea, God is good and God loves us. He loves everyone. He wants us to love God and he wants us to love one another. And, um, and then, then what we would realize is that, well, then what's the point of history? What is the point? What is it? God wants to have happen. What is God's agenda? Well, God's agenda would be, I don't know, maybe that his kids would play nice together. Maybe they would share. If they saw, you know, their brother or sister hungry, they might feed them. Or if they were cold, they might, you know, give them their their cloak or their jacket or their shoes. Uh, if they saw them, you know, in need, they might come and help them. Like, those are the simple things that God as a loving father wants us as his children to do. And if we could embrace that as our main mission, this is what we're called to do. Um, you know alleviate suffering, genuinely love one another, care for other people, and that, and that if we understood that by doing that, we are being like God, we are being like Jesus. This is who we're called to be. Um, and just get rid of this nonsense. Gosh, it just bothers me so much. I, I'm, one of my next books is going to be I'm, I'm eventually going to write a book on this whole thing about the uh, dispensationalism and the end times rapture and all that stuff because it's so toxic, it's so destructive. Um, and manipulative and in the end it really just um it sort of negates the whole point of the gospel it's uh, it's it's really really destructive
2: and it's it's i mean if we think about like what we can do in the present moment going back to our topic about the middle east it's probably there's not a lot i mean this shit is so entangled and so long of a history and there's so much well they started this and they started this and it's like But yeah, you're right. We can do little things here and now. I mean, how do we apply peace now in the present moment? How does, how does that affect, how does loving our neighbor affect our politics or our worldview or how we interact with people? And that's all we can really do. I mean, because honestly, like all this shit with the Middle East is so above what any of us individually can do. Yep. That's true. Which, which, uh, which is, which is why I loved your idea you know, when we decided what we we're going to donate for for my royalties that you came up, Keith, with uh, the Preemptive Love Coalition. Yep. Support places like that. I mean, they they do the actual work where it's not about picking sides. It's about who got bombed and yep. how can we help them? Yes. You know, that's that's doing the work of that's doing the work of Jesus. That's doing the work of, mm. you know, what being yeah. a true human would be like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I love what those guys are doing and I want to support them like on a, start supporting them on a monthly basis because I just really love what they do. And if you don't know what they do, look them up preemptive love coalition. They're, they're alleviating suffering uh, right now for people in Syria, but they've been doing before that a lot of great work with children in Iraq. Um, yeah.
1: You, you know, I think, I think another thing that people can do, and again, um, not everyone's a traveler, but if you can travel, if you desire to travel um, and can make that happen, which I think a lot of people discount they go well that's like i'm not able to do that i would be you know that's not correct i think a lot of people can travel if there's creative ways you can do it but i would encourage you if you at all have this inclination in your heart to go there to go yeah um, i'm not talking about like you know mission trips or anything like that i'm talking about going i've done several of these trips like i've been to iraq um during the war i went several times from 2006 to 10 i mean i went several times and visited places they told me i couldn't go and i walked and saw these people that were affected by the war i went to i went to hamas after hamas took or went to the hamas controlled territory in the west bank after they took over um because because stuff you hear in the news is like is really not correct at, at, at even a little bit it, it's at, the picture that it paints right. of the world is not how it is when you get into people's lives and you get on the ground so i remember like literally walking through the streets right after Hamas took over the West Bank. I'm going, well, this is terrorist controlled territory. I was totally safe. You're right. And I remember like eat, <laughs> being invited into people's homes and eating dinner with them and, um, and being and just, once you see people and you realize, Oh, these aren't just, they're, they're, what is a Palestinian? It's a, it almost sounds like what, what is, what is that? Yeah. I mean, what, what, what is It's really there. Uh, it's a, it's a, People at the end of the day, what is an Iraqi? Exactly. what is a Kurds. Right. You know all these things. Like these are these are human beings that have the same desires that you have and we have. It's the, they have the same lives. They have they love. They cry. They hurt. They have the same emotions. They have the same struggles to survive, uh, and wanting to survive that any other human being does. And so I think so. So getting on the ground and just it's important. It's there's a place for it and i think the more you can do that the more a person travels and experiences other cultures other faces outside of our own bubble america is very um uh, we think of china and north korea as being very people the, the the populace is being programmed which they are um but america is probably one of the more one of the more dominant countries that have mastered how to brainwash people oh, yeah. so when you're here and you listen to the media like it's different i've been to europe spent a lot of time in europe it's different there uh different in africa different it gets, you don't have the the, the real sophisticated brainwashing tactics that we have here, like you have in China and North Korea. I'd rem- rank America right up there. So by getting out, going, visiting, being with people, it can really break down these, these ideas that are keeping us uh, held back in our development. Yep, Good stuff.
2: Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. I wish I could travel. I'm not too broke.
0: Hey, by the way, I would also say, watch, there's a great documentary called with God on our side about this whole issue of Israel and Palestine that, uh, It's really awesome. It'll it'll help you a lot, I think, to see both sides. I'll check it out. Good stuff.
1: Uh, Don't forget to call the hotline.